Uh, I was a couple of kilometers away on the edge of a, the foothills of a mountain sort of range from the vehicle um, and uh, got lost, couldn't find the vehicle in the dark because um, it's out in the, in, in the middle of nowhere. Um, my clothes were starting to freeze on myself. Um, just made it back to the vehicle um, and uh, sort of dragged myself into the uh, the falconry venue blue and half dead everyone had to kind of get me warmed up how's it going everyone welcome back for another episode of the falconry toll podcast and we're about eight episodes now into this cape falconry club series hope you all have been enjoying falconry from a new perspective from yet another country and many thanks to them as always for helping to make this series happen also big thank you to the falconry heritage trust for their contribution to helping make this series happen also without their small grant to um, help fund some of the airfare and other travel expenses for this trip it probably wouldn't have happened so if you'd like to go and find out more about the falconry heritage trust and to support their cause which is to continue to help preserve falconry heritage around the world just head to falconryheritage.org and also a big thank you for the continued support from bobby yaga crafts out of poland if you haven't checked out his stuff yet highly recommend you do so you all have heard me brag about his products by now here on the podcast but i love how he continues to try and come up with new ideas and and uh, refine and improve the products that he already offers as well it's definitely worth your time and and your money to check out his equipment it's um it's definitely second to none so it's hard to find a much better handcrafted quality equipment than his. So if you want to get some new anklets or uh, jesses or anything for your birds for the upcoming falconry season or for future seasons, definitely check out his products. And um, if you want to contact him, the information to do that is on our website at falconrytold.com. And you can also find him at Bobby Yaga Goshawk on Instagram. And this episode with Zane is another good one in that it offers another perspective from a falconer with a pretty decent amount of experience and also experience flying some of the, well, at least what's considered to be harder species to fly in the black sparrowhawks and things like that in South Africa. And it was good kind of picking his brain a little bit about that as well as just finding out some of the other experiences and stories that he's had and and um, you know his time in falconry so i'm going to go ahead and jump into this episode with zane and i hope you all enjoy as always thanks again for continuing to listen to this series and uh here we go well welcome zane thanks thank for, you thanks for your time and for for joining us i you said you just got here Yes, I uh, just drove in from Cape Town to the meat venue now, uh, about two hours ago, so uh, just arrived. Did you come the same way that, that most of us came, like through the mountain passes and stuff? Do you take the same way or yes, do you go Yes, I around? did. I actually needed to drop off a uh, thank you gift at one of the farmers that I uh, hunt on, uh, or the farms that I hunt on, so I kind of did a little bit of a detour, but pretty much through the same uh, mountain passes as everybody else. That was interesting. Interesting going through that with uh, hurricane winds and stuff the other day when we were coming up. Uh, I think poor Tian, he was um, he was a little nervous at times. Yeah, and I saw that they actually uh, f- 
narrowed the traffic down to one lane in one of the passes now because the road was washed away underneath. So they they still they're still doing maintenance and repairs to the to the passes. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned uh, he mentioned something about that as we were driving up, and it was very comforting to hear that. You know, as we were driving through the the hurricane winds and everything else, that uh, you know, on one spot basically the road had vanished and whatever, and they had just kind of fixed it and. And, um, yeah, I mean, to someone who doesn't really know these areas very well and, uh, is only very remotely, um, kind of oriented to how your infrastructure works here. It's very comforting. Yeah. (laughs) It's a big catchment area for water. So the, when you have a bit of torrential rain that comes down, everything flows together and then floods through these narrow channels to get out of the, the like box valleys. So to say, so it gets a bit chaotic with heavy rain. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, the the um, the terrain around here has been very nice, though. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, like I said, it's been very enjoyable. Just kind of seeing, you know, just kind of how different. I mean, I I don't get to see stuff like this at home. So anytime I, I get to be around mountains and you know big lakes and all these different things, all in the same area, like it's. Uh, it's kind of like kid in a candy store for me, nature-wise. It is. It's it's, it's beautiful country out here, and uh, particularly now this time of year, everything is green uh, with all the rain. Dams are full, rivers are flowing. It's it's pretty. It really is nice. Yeah, it, it can. This particular area of the Kaapoka Fault is called Drua Hook, which is an Afrikaans word that Afrikaans word that says a dry corner, so to say. So in summertime, it it can get pretty nasty and bone dry and uh there's there's no water sources anyway so nice time of year yeah someone was saying uh i think it was earlier when we were out i think someone was saying that a year or two ago or some sometime recently there was a big drought around here yes uh if you can remember back probably about three years four years i don't run about there cape town almost ran out of water yeah we can almost down to day zero had had no uh, idea yeah yeah we kept on was almost one of the first major cities to run totally out of water, so we were in a in a crisis sort of a uh, uh, couple of years back. And now you would never say so. Well, and the, it's been interesting too getting um, getting used to the the power going off a couple couple hours a day and and the load <laughs> load shedding. Is that yeah? Is that, that's that's what you call it. This is Africa, huh? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Between that and not having any water, I think that I would probably. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it, there, there is uh, pretty much every aspect, but the the whole electricity thing and whatever. I think um, I really could be happy living in this kind of scenery and terrain, and and especially with you with you all's falconry down here, and and how close you all are to you know all these different areas that are really nice to fly. I could totally see myself living in an area like this, but. But the but the extraneous factors of the uh, of the power just kind of going out, you know, randomly and just expected and just kind of, yeah. you know, it's 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 interesting. It's yeah. very interesting. It's it's unfortunately it's it's just like the analogy of a a frog in a pot of water on the stove that gets hotter and hotter as as people living in Africa where we are now, you just become accustomed to it and you just go with whatever's thrown your way and you just learn how to to kind of adapt um so someone from the outside that comes in is quite sort of taken back say like wow you guys are 
operating in this condition, doing that, and you're out here with no power and doing that. We kind of look around and think, well, it's just the way it is, you know. Um, so, yeah, but it's it's uh, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Yeah, and as far as um, you know, just where you've lived. I mean, you you said you've kind of been in and around Cape Town the majority of your life. I was or? I was born in. Well, Rhodesia those days and uh, shortly afterwards their independence to become Zimbabwe um, and did my uh, pretty much the first nine years of schooling there. So I was fourth generation, born, bred Zimbabwean, um, Rhodesian, whatever you want to say, and then came and finished my last three years of schooling in, in Cape Town. Um, and yeah, I finished school at 1998, so quite a while back. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, since then just established home and life and everything else, and then in, in Cape Town. Well, and you know, early on, you know, I mean, what were, were there any other? I mean, aside from the, I guess, potentially obvious ones, but I mean, what was it like for you, uh, kind of transplanting from there to here at, at kind of a, a younger age like that? Was it? It was a culture shock, big time. Yeah, <laughs> um, we uh, sort of came from a, a farming community uh, in in the Lowveld in um, in Zimbabwe, um, and when the political unrest got too much with the Mugabe regime, and that we decided to come and immigrate to South Africa. Uh, we had a lot of family that had done so ahead of us, um, but uh, we came back to. To our roots, so to say, because our uh, kind of four or five generations ahead of us came from the Cape anyway, you know. So it was a kind of a, a full circle to to move back again. Yeah. Uh, took a while uh, to to readjust, but um, once you realise that it's that it's home and your new home, as I think as a kid, it's easier to readjust than than kind of moving as an adult, you know. Um, but yeah, now it's all I know. Yeah, I mean, even in it doesn't really matter what country you live in. I think you're just yeah, just because of lack of overall life experience and and attachments and and things like that. I do think you're right. I mean, as a kid, it would be easier to probably you know be malleable to those things. And, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, but especially, I mean, in, in in countries like this that are you know a lot you know every, every country has its challenges you know to some degree and for sure you know so sure. but um but i mean so what uh what part of your life then did you kind of discover that falconry was a thing then and and what point did you start getting interested in in all those things well in in zim as a kid i Obviously, was born and raised out in the farming areas, and um, my father managed a um, a big five thousand head of cattle for the sugar estates in the Lowveld of Zimbabwe, um, a place called Triangle Limited. Uh, so, I grew up in in ranch, sort of ranch lands, doing everything that a a farm kid would, um, and my kind of interests lay with with birds in general um eventually leaning more towards birds of prey as i got more into it um i also sort of collected eggs as a hobby uh, so as as 
as fun as it was, it got me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Climbing the wrong trees in the wrong places. Um, but that kind of led me to appreciate uh, birds of prey being outside in nature with uh, a little knapsack on my back with a couple of sandwiches and enough water for the day and I just disappear, you know. Um, and uh, once I moved to South Africa, um, finished school, um, decided to, to pursue um, a more kind of intimate relationship with birds of prey. And I looked up the local falconry club in my area and by chance uh, dr adrian lombard happened to live five minutes away from where i lived and um yeah long story short i ended up being his apprentice um and that's where it started 20 years ago 20 years ago about yeah. how old were you then sure uh i am now 42 uh, so I would have been 22, I suppose. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So still relatively young, but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how, I mean, I, I know of some people that have gotten into this at, at a really early age, you know, um, teenagers or even sometimes younger. And sometimes I wonder how they've been able to do it, except, you know, of course the obvious ones that have been multi-generational, you know, falcons yes, and stuff yeah, like that, but Natural, but, natural path to follow, you know, you have, you have a, you grow up with a mentor in the house, so to say. Yeah. 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 And I mean, so how did things, you know, start then? I mean, what was your, what was your early experience like, you know, first getting in, into falconry? Well, getting into falconry initially, uh, I did my year's apprenticeship, I think it was 2003. Um, and that was your basically just a tag along wherever I anybody who was going out to fly hawks once I joined the club anyone was going out to fly hawks or hunt or a falconry meet or any kind of get together even if it was just um, to go and um, run dogs or train puppies or anything that was related sort of to um, pointing dogs or hawks or was my interest I just absorbed as much as I could um, Dr. Lombard has got a, a library second to none in his office f with books and information and stuff. So I would take a book or two or three and just devour it and then come back three, four days later and be like, okay, what, what else have you got for me to read? So he had a, an immense amount of literature, um, which I just went through as much as I could. Um, he's a very practical person in that as well. So, um, kind of took me through how to make my own equipment and uh, become self-sufficient. So I, I give credit to him because I had uh, a great apprenticeship under his mentorship. Um, and I think by the end of the year, I had done everything, read everything, seen everything. So from a, a non-falconry point of view, I had done every theoretical thing you could possibly <laughs> think of, you know. So um yeah, and then from there, it was uh, that my we have a, a entrance exam for the apprentice to kind of just know that you know what you're talking about and doing that you're not going to sort of end up harming a bird that you get. And uh, yeah, by the following year, um, started actively doing falconry. Yeah, so 
and uh you know like I've, I've talked to some of the other guys about this this week but um so yeah at that point you're what like a, a d like the the d level or whatever our yeah. our grading system the way it works is a a d grade is an apprentice yeah um and then once you have got your muse built and you've uh spent a season in the field with your mentor and fellow falconers and learnt and you've got your equipment and perches and you've basically have everything in place other than a bird um then you would be eligible for for your first bird you know um then you would be graded to a c grade and then as a, a c grade falconer you can actually have your bird go out hunt and 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 actively um participate as as a falconer so yeah and then you build yourself from there yeah cool yeah i um like i said i i keep trying to hammer these details into my head you know just to because it's so kind of it's sort of the same, but yet quite different from how you know we do things. Yeah, so. we we go like kind of CB and up to A grade, which is a master falconer. Um, and I think you guys have just got two levels or three, three. levels, three yeah. levels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah. yeah, apprentice, general, and and master. Yeah, yeah. which and and ours is more of a of honestly kind of like a time, you know, like putting in the time more than mm. like having people grade you and things like, yeah. you know, but, um, I mean, you're still kind of being evaluated by your sponsor and other people you're going out with and stuff. Uh, yes. And yeah. sometimes ever so harshly. Uh, but <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the ribbing sometimes is, is what we both, you know, live and, and dread live for and dread. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, is it kind of the same here too? Kind of, it seems like, you know, just from my experience, with everyone so far that uh this community really isn't any different than most other communities and that you're gonna you're gonna take your share of lumps and you know have to spend your time in the in the barrel so to speak yeah absolutely you know it's uh sort of bring being being an you 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 remain an apprentice <laughs> you re, you remain a, an, an apprentice for many years even though you climb the ladder and you do it sort of i think the only time that you get out from under the banner of an apprentice uh is is when you get one yourself you yeah. know? <laughs> so uh, if there's a field meet you're always the one that's got to go and make coffee for everyone and go and cook cook the meat out on the barbecue, so to say, and, and uh, you got to get out in the rain and open the gates. And uh, so you're the, you're the dog's body, you know, and, uh, but yeah, but it's good fun. It's all, um, there's a lot of, of respect amongst peers. So um, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, getting that job and, and uh, for a while as the new guy at the job, you're kind of like, you know, the, the new idiot up until the point where you get a newer idiot in. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it, it just, the, the, focus the, is yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> the buck is, the buck is passed. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it, once again, I've, I've talked to some of the guys about this here as well as other places and that it really is funny how the falconry community is, is different very different in some ways from place to place, but the fundamentals are, they're pretty much the same. Yeah. There's a, there's a common thread that runs through it all, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and so what were some of the early experiences that you had with, uh, you know, some of the different species that you flew? I, my very first bird was a greater kestrel. Um, it was 
I mean, it, it's it's natural prey is going to be insects and mice and small stuff, you know. So it was more about learning how to handle it, getting into the actual daily routine of um, of being a falconer. What it's it's the first thing you do when you wake up, and it's the last thing you do before you go to bed. You know, you it's you now have this child in your life, so to say, that you've got to look after. So that was was a, a good learning curve, and I mean, I would go out and and fly it, or ridge saw it, and thermal it, and do whatever I could. It was more, like I said, just getting into the rhythm of of how falconry was going to become a lifestyle. Um, and then from there, um, we have an African goshawk, which is um, a great little starter bird for. For everybody um, up and coming, you whether you end up flying long wings predominantly or whether you end up flying short wings doesn't really matter. Um, an African goshawk is is a a little bird that's got a heart the size of a lion and is will 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 basically bind to anything. Yeah, you know? um, <laughs> and you can walk and stalk. You can chuck it out a car window. You 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 can do anything with it. You can have it follow on. You can it's a, it builds your idea of of um like your perception of hunting itself. I am a hunter. I've been hunting since sort of I, I can't even remember um, growing up in that environment. And I mean that's what we are as falconers. You got to be a hunter first and foremost. Um, so it, it's a little bird that helps you develop bushcraft. You've you've got to learn how to um, use it as a tool to 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 catch quarry and you catching little stuff. You know, mostly um, small birds and um, in flay systems and river courses and little thickets. Um, it happens all around about you, and so it's fun. It's exciting. Um, and you put all those factors together, um, and it's 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 a great starter bird because it's not a difficult bird to handle. Um, it catches pretty much anything, uh, and it's fun, uh, and it teaches you a lot in in the beginning of of how to read hunting setups um, in order to to kind of make successful kills. So uh, I think that's where we've all started here in 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 South Africa, um, and then from there. I stuck with the short wing side of things. Um, Dr. Lombard was um, more the the short wing falconer than the long wing falconer, just because where he lived, uh, he flew a lot of black sparrowhawks. So that was my natural kind of path to choose. Um, I had his mentorship and the terrain and the quarry and everything that was available to me, it was a kind of a natural decision to go that way. So for a couple of years, I, I flew um, passage black sparrowhawks. Um, and then I think eventually after about four years or so, I ended up flying a Lana Falcon and a black sparrowhawk together in, 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 in one season, which was if I could say a bit of more than I could chew, that was it's an <laughs> understatement. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then I um, I started flying more more long wings. I, at that stage, I had moved to a different part of Cape Town, more open country, more wheatlands, um, and it just was big sky country. So I I kind of dabbled in in the long wing side of things through. 
Passage Lanners, Passage Peregrines, uh, Tessels and Females, um, just to also broaden my own experience base in that, you know? So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I keep hearing, like, the more I, I talk to you all this week, the more I keep hearing kind of common denominators, you know, like, as opposed to, you know, in most states, for example, in, in the states, you're going to start off with either like a red tail, a passage red tail, or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a kestrel or American kestrel are kind of like your two options, you know, as yeah. far as, you know, the, the starter species that you're allowed to fly. And I, you know, like I said, it, it sounds like, you know, like a, your, your kestrels here and then, you know, the African goshawks are kind of like the equivalent to that here. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, like I said, it's interesting how, once again, the similarities are there, mm-hmm. but, you know, with completely different types of approach or species. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, no, very much so. Yeah. Um, I think we, we know, we never had Harris Hawks um, and the likes 10, 15 years back because uh, we just never had access to them, you know, um, and as they have sort of been imported and brought into into the country over the last sort of decade or so, they've become um, a game changer like they have uh, around the world everywhere else. You know, they uh, um, have opened up a whole different avenue for us as well. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the purest that only flies passage black sparrow hawks or passage African peregrines. Um, so if you didn't live in an area where they were accessible or your time constraints or your work or where you lived or um, didn't allow you to fly those types of birds, things like the Harris Hawk, and that has opened up a whole different avenue for for different guys, you know, Um, which is great because they would never have been able to enjoy falconry uh, as much as they do now because of it. So I think one or two of of your guys in species that have been imported has now benefited us too, you know? Yeah. Well, it sound by the sound of it, I kind of wish that we were able to get some of you all species a little bit more readily as well. I mean, I know there are guys that have, you know, imported and, and bred, um, you know, like Eurospars and, yes. and, you know, different species. And, but I mean, it's kind of few and far between in the States, mm-hmm. you know, people that have attempted those things, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be really neat to be able to fly some of your species in the U.S. too, because it sounds like it would be a really nice, um, a really nice alternative option for you know some some of our occipiter you know short wing species yeah. too. I mean, because the, there's definitely I mean like our Cooper's hawks and things are pretty challenging to fly as yeah, well. They so. they are a version of of a Cooper's. Um, they just real head cases but once you you get to understand how they work and and what they think and how they do stuff and um they're a real wind-up toy you know and you need to know how to deal with it and when you can channel that energy in the right direction um and then it's phenomenal you know um, it's it's absolutely amazing so um they're not as robust talking about the black sparrow now they're not as robust as as your guys goshawks and that they their feathers are, are are really sort of um they break quite easy and you can't <laughs> you if you have to have a, a black sparrow get hold of get hold of of a rabbit or a hare um you're going to be imping an entire tail sort of that <laughs> evening you know <laughs> so they they're bird specialists and uh 
Uh, but I'm sure that the guys that are hunting quail and partridge and 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 pheasant and things like that, um, a black sparrowhawk would would be fantastic op- uh, opportunity for them to to fly something different. You know. Yeah. Well, and kind of if you don't care, I mean, just elaborate a little bit more than I mean, that's one thing I have heard from multiple guys since I've been here is just how, you know, high strung you all's, uh, you know, black spars are. Yeah. And of course, you know, one like we just briefly talked about, I mean, the Cooper's Hawk is probably the closest thing that we have to that as far as that. But, you know, I mean, just out of curiosity, what has been your approach to you know, since you all don't have imprinting really as an option and stuff here. Um, I mean, what's been your approach then to dealing with, with some of those more challenging, you know, passage, you know, birds and, and um, I mean, just, just share if you don't care. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what your outtake is on that. Yeah. They, a, a passage black spa um, just wants to, to to self destruct all the time. It's very highly strung. Um, so if you it's it's you've got to utilize a hood. Um, if it's not if it's not a really calm full imprint that is bomb proof and pretty chilled around everything, um, it's it's gonna bait itself to death. It's gonna turn itself inside out. Um, you if you have any equipment that is not ideally suited to its temperament, it's going to wrap itself up, tie itself in knots, break all its feathers, uh, and it's going to happen in half an hour. Um, one, you're going to trap a fresh passage bird, and the first time you take the hood off, it's just you just unleash all hell, and then in an hour later, you now got bent feathers, and it's hanging upside down, doing its usual sort of. Uh, tantrum antics and and it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't stop for a while so there's you got to utilize the hoods um to strategically you've got to it, it's not a, a kuchiku kind of bird that you handle and and the hooded and unhooded and walk around with it and um it's uh you've my experience is you've you've got to almost treat it as a very clinical relationship in the beginning until it has settled with its surroundings. Um, I used a barrel perch uh, or a round perch if you want to for, for a different term. It, it worked very well for me. Um, anything where it can bait, so like a, a bow perch on the ground where it can just bait and bait and bait, it it, it will, you get leg scale damage. Um, so barrel perch, utilization of the hood, um, your muse is going to have to be pretty much blocked out. Um, if you can, um, like a, a longish flight pen, if you're going to free mew it. Uh, if you're going to free mew um, a passage black sparrowhawk, you're probably going to turn it into mincemeat in sort of by the end of the first day. Yeah, <laughs> they, so they, they're very difficult to, to kind of manage. Um, but if you've got a good mentor, someone who has walked the road before you, um, you can uh, avoid a lot of upsets uh, before they've started. You know? um, but uh, in saying all of that, the only reason why we go through all the damn headache and, and uh, <laughs> walking on eggshells, so to say, is because uh, once they get with a program, 
Um, yeah, it's the kind of jaw-dropping stuff, you know. They are absolutely amazing. They, I mean, for them to fly down pigeons in level flight and stuff is is nothing, you know. Um, and your 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 muskets will fly locks and and long claw and snipe ringing flights sort of out of sight um your females will take uh, just open slips of five six hundred meters to flocks of 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 guinea fowl or, or franklin right out in the open before they even start so um they're they're incredibly uh, versatile and once they know what the program is um they're, they're an incredible amount of enjoyment uh, so and it's they they have this um they're not as oh I might get shot down for this, but they're not as clever as a as a goshawk in that it'll sit there and it'll think about what it's doing and it'll strategize and then kind of come out of a a tree and then do some clever maneuver and end up cutting the corner and catching a rabbit in in some way or form in a in a forested area. They just like point and shoot, so they and they, and they will just fly their wings off until they get it. Um, that kind of blind tenacity which is which is great i mean because it's it's exciting and um they give absolutely everything um but um yeah those are kind of the the positives that go with all the 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 high maintenance upkeep that uh, that you require when you when you're actually handling them you know um hunted hard hunted hard and and feed it well and it's generally sorts out most of your problems at home you know don't fly it fly it once or twice a week keep it on a perch and and you are going to be up to your eyeballs in problems all day every day you know <laughs> so it's got to it's got to fly hard and and kind of burn that that low level stress off um and then it's a happy happy bird to to kind of have you know yeah, yeah it sounds very familiar yeah <laughs> sounds very very familiar and um you know, I think that's part of, probably part of the reason why a lot of people, including myself, you know, have failed in the past with with Cooper's Hawks. And, um, you know, it's I think it's just a different mentality, you know, a different mindset. And, um, you know, it sounds like it's it's pretty, <laughs> pretty similar, though, <laughs> to the mentality that you would have to have to fly, you know, both successfully. Yeah. But I mean. There's kind of theories too, also in that. I mean, since they are such high-strung birds by nature, I mean, do you think the black spars are kind of similar to, you know, like our coops? And that there probably is just a, a much lower percentage of birds that would be good falconry candidates. I think, I think that they are. They'll all be pretty good falconry candidates. Look, I mean, we all know they're not all created equal, but. Um, uh, I think that there are definitely methods that can make your life a lot easier. Um, I think going the imprinting route, uh, maybe raising them socially with, with siblings beforehand and actually hacking them. Um, there's various ways that you can um, minimize the uh, kind of highly strung temperament, uh, which would make it a lot more pleasant. Hmm. Um but, but since but since you guys don't have access to to do some of those things, then I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean we we can't just go and get an eyes from a breeder and uh, uh, sort of work from from that platform. Uh, we've got to either trap a passage or you need to motivate um, sort of taking an eyes, uh, which is a serious amount of jumping through hoops. Um, 
And I mean, my personal view was I, I, I flew passage birds because uh, we had the privilege of doing so, you know, um, and it, you don't really need to teach it anything. You just need to sort of get it to cooperate with you and the rest that already knows, um, which is great. Um, and, and at the end of the season, um, you let it go, you know, um, next year you fly another one, you know, trap and train another one, which was, which was great. So um, I enjoyed it. And the fact that I got to trap and train a, a fresh passage every single year, year upon year upon year, which was, um, and you get to fly a musket one year and fly a female the next year. And one is better at this and that. So it, it develops your your kind of experience in that as well, you know, which is great. Oh. I know for some falconers that probably sounds like hell, <laughs> like like having <laughs> to, to do it again yeah, and again, to, and again to have yeah. a train a new bird. I mean, there, and there are a fair, fair amount of falconers like yourself that really enjoy doing that. You yeah. know, like um, you know, I mean, but some people, you know, like to have a break every so often and, and be <laughs> able to to actually interview birds and yeah. and yeah, have them already kind of familiar with the with the program when the next hunting season rolls around. But I mean, I commend you for you know having that you know as a something that you have really enjoyed doing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's everybody just likes what they like, but yeah. I just, you know, like I said, that, that's one of the reasons I like doing this because I enjoy finding out what makes uh, other falconers in particular tick and, and what, uh, what some people like, even if it does sound like self abuse in some ways. I mean, having <laughs> having that would be it'd be like us, you know, yeah. only being able to. to Look, the family the family's got to be on board, huh? Because <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's. Um, I will. I won't lie to you. There's there's definitely a lot of times which are quite stressful and highly strung um, because you everything's got to be perfect all the time. Uh, so it puts a lot of pressure in that on yourself. It's uh, it's definitely. Um, not the uh, the chilled, laid back uh, falconry that a uh, an imprint would give you. <laughs> yeah, but as you say, it's it's uh, each horses for courses, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can think of a, probably a large number of falconers that in the U.S. that basically they were like, well, you pretty much have to you know, trap and train a new passage coop every year and, and whatever, there'd probably be like a mass amount of dropout <laughs> in the, in the sport, you know, yeah. I say that half jokingly, but, uh, but no, that's, that's neat. Thanks for sharing some of those insights because, no you know, I think, um, like you said, it's, it's neat whenever you run, you encounter people that have kind of, um, I don't know, been able to sort of mold and adapt to, I don't know, like being able to, I won't, I won't use the word formula, but like come up with a way to not only, you know, deal with some of the more challenging species, but actually enjoy it. Mm. So, you know, it sounds like you, you fall into that category. I mean, are you still trying to fly those particular birds then, or are you more of a fan of, of different species these days? Um, I moved my residence about five years ago to right on the edge of um, the city limits, uh, specifically for falconry. <laughs> um, our main um, type of agriculture around the outskirts of Cape Town is um, wheatlands. So we have um, pretty much a large monoculture of, of wheat, uh, and that gives us really big open flat spaces um 
okay, well, I say big open flat spaces. It's, it's not quite the prairies of America, but um, it allows us to fly um, long wings pretty close within in, in 15, 20 minutes outside of the city limits, uh, which is great. So I've, over the last couple of years, um, flown predominantly long wings uh, just because it's it's the opportunity that I've been given now um, where I stay. Um, and again, it's just exploring uh, another avenue of of um, of falconry. And I'm flying my first um, kind of exotic peregrine, um, and I'm flying a geoperegrine hybrid as well at the moment. I've got two birds. Uh, again, that's something new for me. So the uh, the Tissel peregrine is. Um, intermute in his second year now, um, and um, the Joe Peregrine in her first. Uh, so, having fun, something new, do it for a couple of years, and uh, who knows, maybe uh, go back to a short wing after that. Uh, I'm not a, a a be all and end all short winger or a be all and end all long winger. I, I, I enjoy everything about it. I'll do one side of it for four or five years and then kind of mix it up for a year or two and then go back again. Um, well, our modern day lifestyle also kind of controls where and what and how uh, we we do falconry. So, um, I mean, I uh, have got to take that into consideration. So if I know for whatever reason my work scenario for the following year is going to be taking me to this place and that place and my time is going to keep me in an area which is going to be more wooded areas and um, short wing territory and then I would look to fly short wing for the year. So I think my my lifestyle and my work also depicts as to what I fly and um, the quarry that I'll get that's going to be around about me. I mean, you've got to you've got to take those things into consideration. Not to say like, oh, I'd love to fly this and I'd love to fly that. But at the end of the day, you are governed where you live and what quarry you have, and that should be the bird that you choose. You know, um, so because you can hunt it and serve it uh, to the best of of your ability. You know, so sure, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of funny though. Like the hardcore exhibitor guys, though, I'm I'm sure you've heard. You know, the people that you know, you may or may not know of that fly, you know, some of the different species. I mean, I know if like for, for me, like most of my friends that are avid goshawk guys, you know, they're like, well, if it's not great, it's just never going to blah, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's just, you yeah. know, it's, and you know, it's, it's, it's cool talking to somebody like yourself that, um, you know, just, it doesn't really matter what it is, you know, it is, you're going to enjoy it, you know, and, yeah. uh, are you having and, fun? Yes. Okay, good. That's yeah. all you need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's kind of shift focus then. And, um, you know, this is the part where we usually like getting, um, a one or two good memorable, you know, stories or experiences that you've had. I mean, you have been doing this for a while, so I know you probably have plenty, but what's like the one or two stories that that stick out in your mind is kind of like some of your more memorable experiences either um you know hunting or flights or with a with a particular bird that you've had if i had to think about it the first thing that jumps to mind is actually not um sort of a uh, how can i say like a particular let's say top class bird that made 150 kills in a season or thing, but I, uh, I, I do have a story that comes off the top of my head. We, we have our national, um, 
get together once a year, generally like this time of year, June, July, and it's generally held in in the middle of the country, uh, in in sort of uh, the Free State Province. We went up there. Uh, it's incredibly cold for us in Africa. Sort of minus. 10 degrees Celsius is is incredibly cold, you know. So um, <laughs> and there they they hit double figures minuses uh, in during the meet time. Um, I ended up, um, I think I was flying a, a Lana Falcon at the time. It ended up catching a thermal late afternoon and vaporizing and not coming down and ignored everything else. Uh, ensued in a couple of hours of tracking session and. Uh, I, as it started getting dark, got signal on the top of a kind of a, a small mountain range about maybe two, three kilometers away. And I, the, the, the free state is, is just almost like grassland, just flat open grassland. So I, I parked the vehicle and ended up walking with telemetry as far as I could. I wanted to pinpoint exactly where this thing was um, so that first light the following morning I could come back and, and kind of lure it from wherever it was um, ended up uh, tracking way further <laughs> than I intended um, about sort of uh, an hour after dark eventually found where this thing was uh, pinpointed it um, by that stage I had sweated my clothes wet um, and then the temperature just plummeted to minus stupid in like a short space of time. Uh, I was a couple of kilometers away on the edge of a, the foothills of a mountain sort of range from the vehicle um, and uh, got lost. Couldn't find the vehicle in the dark because <laughs> um, it's out in the, in, in the middle of nowhere. Um, my clothes were starting to freeze on myself. Um, <laughs> Just made it back to the vehicle um, and uh, sort of dragged myself into the uh, the falconry venue, blue and half dead. Everyone had to kind of get me warmed up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was it. As a falconer, it, it's not all about the... Uh, the pitch and the stoop and the quarry and it sometimes is about survival as well. You know, you kind of you kind of <laughs> end up putting yourself in uh, in situations where you wouldn't wouldn't normally uh, end up. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the first one that that kind of springs to memory, which uh, falconry <laughs> kind of will take you to. Um, yes, uh, Remarkable birds flown, some really good black sparrowhawks um, making 200 plus kills in a season, um, kind of birds that are just those one in a million, which you end up kind of always looking back at um, from the uh, the long wing side of things, um, uh, having really incredible flights here. I mean, our most challenging quarry that we can fly here with long wings would be our sand grass. Um, we have um, really um, great sand grass walking in certain parts of the province. Uh, it's it's a real kind of trick to, to get there and it's a lot of planning and birds have got to be really performing well. Um, and when you get it right, uh, really uh, memorable stuff. 
Well, you'll probably end up being like most people that whenever I ask them that and they're, you know, even if they have time to prep ahead of time, they always think, oh, uh, I mean, it's funny because after like 10 minutes after we ended the recording, I thought of like three great stories I completely forgot about. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's usually yeah. what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's stories about survival, as I was just saying. There's stories about sort of um, champagne flying with long wings out of sight on sandgrass in in big open sky uh, um, and uh, just other stories of, of camaraderie with falconers together all all kind of coming together and enjoying themselves at a meet and uh, um, flying different watching different birds fly um, the guys up country who who fly in the suitable more suitable type of terrain fly a lot more eagles um so yeah that's that's another whole kettle of fish altogether um that's uh catching bunnies sort of at night uh, on the back of a vehicle with a spotlight with six seven eight nine youngsters on the back all overexcited and uh, <laughs> also it's it's there's so many avenues so many different memories and and styles of flying is yeah as you say i'll i'll probably have three or four good ones when we finish the podcast <laughs> <laughs> well like i said if um if you happen to remember any and you know down the road if we ever do a, a part two or anything i guess you can you can Absolutely, share them yeah. then. but yeah, uh sure. but yeah no i think we all have a similar one kind of like what what you said though you know it's just um <laughs> i guess it'd be safe to say then that uh even though you have fun doing all this stuff that you know at least that particular moment in time that that particular species definitely probably wasn't your favorite I'd say right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it 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 now left the stigma. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. yeah. Well, odds are you probably won't go back to flying a lander anytime soon. I guess, yeah, right? they're, they're fun birds to fly. Here <laughs> in in South Africa, we've, uh, I mean, we're a sub-Saharan um, climate, so we have hot thermal weather, um, and that's that's their their bread and butter. You know, they. They they're not a, a peregrine that's gonna power its way up or a hybrid or, or something that, that's or a prairie or that's gonna power its way up to thousand thousand five hundred foot and um it 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 it's a you know, the, the old saying, you know, you 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 give a, a lazy guy a difficult job because he's always gonna find the easiest way to do it. You know, um <laughs> and, and that's that's a lanner for you. It it's it's lazy, but it's incredibly clever. Um, and if you have the right conditions to fly them um, in thermals, um, in late afternoon, nice warm weather, and that they they perform incredibly well. Um, and and they they're not a, a a bird that would come down and and bind to its quarry. They love to to strike, and the passage birds have got incredibly good footing. Um, and they they also they they bird specialists out in the deserts, you know. So. They're a fun bird, I suppose. If you have to fly one in the UK or or in very cold, clement weather in in the states, you you you're not really going to see any of its potential, you know. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. I mean, like I said, to each their own, and you're probably right. I mean, and unfortunately, it's uh, something that we don't get to uh, to really experience because we obviously don't have them there, except for for breeding projects. You yes, know? but. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I look. That's that's one species I, I do look forward to seeing sometime over the next couple of days. I um, 
like I said, because of the weather, it's been kind of a tough week, but it is what it is. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, I think we can go ahead and, and wrap this up here shortly. And I want to do the same thing like I have been and now for a good while and, and get the, the best piece of advice that you might be able to come up with for either current or aspiring generations of Falconers. And uh, we can go ahead and call it good. Good. Um, sure. Piece of advice. Well, if I have to get a look back at everything and encompass it in a short, sharp, kind of to the point thing, I would say um, dedication and consistency is two things that that have got to stick with you from the beginning. Um, and it's uh, it's not a hobby or something that you do on the weekends. It's a lifestyle. If you if you want to achieve anything, and if you're gonna um, put the bird's welfare first, um, it's it's going to have to be a lifestyle. It's going to have to be something that uh, you're, you're totally dedicated to. And uh, only when you actually are around and are involved with or under the mentorship of someone who has that kind of outlook and attitude do you do you really see what's, uh, what it takes to um, – to kind of stick it out for the long run and be successful and uh, and have the the full enjoyment of of falconry, you know. Um, so yeah, that would be my my bit of advice. Very cool. Well, like I said, thanks for agreeing on kind of short notice. I mean, I know you just got here and I'm no, no problem. And... Yeah, it's uh, sort of Andre just said to me, "You must be here at two o'clock." <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? I said, "I don't know." Can talk to John. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the most important thing was that you brought my crack and. There we go. And, uh, you know, without that, uh, I'm not yeah. sure. I, I probably would have had to blacklist you from the from doing this. Well, this it's, week. it's cold and rainy and miserable and whatever outside. <laughs> so at least I could bring you something to warm you up. <laughs> well, like I said, I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. Hopefully we'll, um, we'll get a chance to get out and, and have some fun. And if not, well... Yeah, there's always cracking and uh, <laughs> and uh, and beer, I guess, right? Great. Yeah, that's no, it's always good to get together. And uh, if the weather's really bad, you can always sit and uh, swap notes and talk about birds for hours and hours and hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes just, you know, maybe tell and listen to a few lies too, I guess, right? There we go. Just small white lies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bud. Well, like I said, thanks again. And, no, awesome. Uh, thanks for the opportunity and uh, you know, appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's been fun. 